It's good to be with you again and uh, look forward to the opportunity to look into the Word. I think I have time. So, uh, turn with me, please, uh, to the text that's in your bulletin, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'd like to read verses 1 through 10, which is actually the whole chapter. Thessalonians is a, a book you can read in about 15 minutes. Uh, but it's full of, of just wonderful things that Paul has, uh, has to say about these people. So, hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, as we go uh, during this time to look into your word, we pray that you would guide and that your Holy Spirit would open our minds to be able to understand, open our hearts to receive your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm amazed at how easily I am pushed off center. Spiritually, I don't know if this happens to you, but uh, I suspect it does because I'm, in most ways, fairly normal. Um, not in all ways, but in most ways. It can be a flight that's late. Um, it can be a comment by my wife. It can be almost anything that goes on during the day that, that makes it seem as if I'm out of control. Because, you know, as Americans, we're all about control. We're all about being able to manage. You know, I've got my cell phone here so that I'm able to stay in touch with the whole world and check my emails and manage my life with my calendar. And if I need to know anything, I can go to the Internet right away and find out and Google it. You know, so it's all about control. It's all about being able to somehow keep everything exactly where I want it to be. And yet, 
in God's grace, and I do believe it's grace, he will come along on a regular occasion and just sort of push me off center. And something small, and suddenly, here comes the anger, here comes the frustration, here comes all of that junk that's in my heart that pours out again, and I think, where is the power of the gospel? Where is it? I feel like I'm the same man that I was 20 years ago. So, I play games with myself. Mental games, you know, like, I'm, I'm doing really well today. I got up at a good time. I had my devotions, prayed, you know, breakfast went well. And, and it, you know, it's a good day so far. Um, and somehow I had this thought that as long as I'm doing okay, that God's really pleased with me. He looks at me, he smiles, pats me on the head. He says, you're doing pretty good. Try a little harder, you might do better. You know, that's really not the gospel. I'm standing up here, I've been a Christian for longer than many of you have been alive. And I still forget the gospel. Daily. Daily. I have to go back and remind myself, what is it that's really the good news? The good news is not that I'm anything. The good news is all about Christ. And what He did, who He is. I mean, we just sang All these wonderful songs that many times we walk out the door and forget, just like that. To say, I'm being honest with you, I can do this because I'm not your pastor. All right, so I don't have to worry about what you're going to say about me when I leave. So, you know, I can sort of insult you, which is actually just being honest with you. Um, I can also tell you a little bit about myself and don't have to worry about maintaining the facade of, you know, the, the holy and righteous guy. Of course, if any of this gets back to covenant press, I might be in trouble. But, that's, no, really not. So we find ourselves in, in this constant conflict. And then, as our brother prayed, you know, you think about our brothers and sisters in Mosul. You think about our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria. These, the horrendous things that are going on in the world right now. Because, simply because they're Christians and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what comes in my head. I don't think I could do that. I don't, I don't think, if somebody said to me, okay, you're a Christian pastor... And so you're either going to have to pray to Muhammad or we're going to cut your head off while you're still alive. That's happening. I've seen videos. It's sick. They tape it and put it on the Internet. 
And I'm thinking, I'm not sure what I would say. I really wonder what I would say. That's why this passage to me is so important. It's so vital because it tells me something about me. And I hope at the end you'll understand it tells you something about you that at times it's easy for us to forget. And so what I want to do is I want to just ask three simple questions about this passage. The first is, and most of this is from verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. I want to ask, first of all, what was the gospel that Paul preached to them? Secondly, where was the power? And thirdly, what was the result that came from that? And I hope that it will be an encouragement to you as you look about your life and circumstances. Because I think you're a lot like me. And you just sort of get pushed off center and lose sight of who Christ is. First of all, um, what is the gospel that he preached? Now we have, it's fortunate because we, the Holy Spirit has given us in the book of Acts the history of what happened in Thessalonica. And it's really interesting. Acts chapter 17, you don't have to go there. I'll tell you the story. You can check me later just to make sure I didn't miss anything. But in, in Paul is on his second missionary journey. He has the Macedonian call, the vision that he saw, come over to Macedonia and help us. He goes across from what is today Turkey into what is today Macedonia. All right. And he stops first at Philippi. And what happened at Philippi? Anybody remember what happened at Philippi? Wonderful reception. Everybody believed Big mega church started. Is that what happened? Oh, come on. <coughs> Philippi. Paul and Silas get beat up. They are whipped by the Romans, which is not just a little spanking, boys and girls. Right? This is a whip with metal pieces sewn on the end so that when you're whipped, your, your back is lacerated. And they're put in prison, put in stocks. They're in prison, they're in chains, and what are they doing? You do remember this. What are they doing in prison? Huh? They're mumbling. (laughs) What are they doing? They're singing. Does that strike you as odd? Here I am. I'm in prison, chains on. Back lacerated, no medical care, and I'm singing. I find that hard to believe, but there it is. All right? You know the story. The Lord comes, there's an earthquake, the chains fall off, the jailer says, I'm going to kill myself. Paul says, Don't bother, we're all here. Jailer comes in, What must I do to be saved? He didn't know what he was asking. He thought, He needed to be saved from the retribution of his bosses. But Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, explains the gospel to him and his whole household believes. And they're baptized that night. So, that went well. Paul, 
has to leave the city because they kick him out. The government kicks him out after beating him. And rather than saying, you know, I think we must be out of the will of God right now because look at what we're going through. See my back. Um, this can't be God's will. This, there's a lot of pain involved in this. Rather than say that, they go three cities down to the city of Thessalonica. And they go to the Jewish synagogue and for three Sabbath days, count them, three, Paul witnesses to the Jews explaining to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He talks to them about three things. He says, the Christ, the Messiah, had to suffer and die. Secondly, he had to, this is all from the Old Testament, he had to rise from the dead. And by the way, the only one who's done that is Jesus. And thirdly, Jesus is now king. Three things, three parts to his gospel. The cross, the resurrection, and the session of Christ. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's the king. Which, little foreshadowing, that's a clue about where we're going. Because Paul's gospel is different than many times ours is. Sometimes our gospel is Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Paul is going to have some questions about that with his back bleeding. That gospel does not prepare the Christians in northern Nigeria for death. For martyrdom. What it prepares them to do, it's like Americans, like me, pushed off center, my flight is late, where is God? Where's the wonderful plan for my life? Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? Some of you are staring at me like you can't quite believe I'm saying this. Three things. Crucifixion. Suffering. Resurrection. Kingship. You know, those are the themes that ought to be running through our head. Peter says in First Peter, you, do, you shouldn't be surprised when you go through suffering. This is part of the deal. Now, suffering is different for all of us. And we don't get whipped by Romans. The Romans aren't around anymore. We do get mocked. We do find that there are things that go on in our life. The Lord will make sure you have your full supply of suffering. And that many times for us in this culture entails personal hardship, family hardship, financial hardship, whatever it is. The Lord brings that graciously. Why? Hebrews 12. Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines so that we can partake in His holiness. Suffering teaches us to get out of ourselves and look to Him.
I want to talk about the king for just a second because you need to understand this before I go to part two. Question two. The king. The king. What is, what's, up, what's that about the king? Well, let me just remind you very quickly. Jesus, one of the last words he said to his disciples, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What does that mean? That means he's a king. He's not just a king. He is the king. All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. Nothing happens in heaven or in earth without his permission. He's the king. And the disciples, with the usual perceptiveness that we also show, all right, they're, just, they're so clear-sighted. Um, in Acts chapter 1, as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, what is their obsession? They say, is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They want to know about the end times. They're just like us. Can we talk about prophecy? We want to know what's coming. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what's coming. What's coming is power. You will be my witnesses, but it will not happen until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you will receive, Acts 1.8, then you will receive power. I'm building a case here. I hope you're following with me. So the gospel that, that Paul preaches, he talks about suffering. He talks about resurrection, which is the end of suffering. But it's the end of suffering at the end of life. And he talks about the kingship of Christ. So there's the answer to our first question. What does Paul preach? That's what he preaches. King Jesus, Christ and his covenant, and what he has done for us as his people. He has died. We just sang this. He has died and he has risen again for our justification. Our sins are gone. We're forgiven. The wrath of God is gone. We don't have to worry about it anymore. That's good news. That's the gospel. They're not smiling. It's good news. There's something more important than the fact that your flight is late. And that is that God's not angry with you anymore. That's good news. Second question. Where's the power come from? And this is where we get to our text. Because this is fascinating to me. Paul says, and I'm galloping now, please, stay with me. Paul says, our gospel did not come to you in word only. Stop, full stop, right there. It is possible for the gospel to come only in word. It is possible for people to accept the concept of the gospel and to give intellectual assent 
to the truthfulness of the gospel and never go any further. Years ago, I was driving down the interstate, call of nature, pulled off into a rest stop. I'm in the men's room. In the men's room. Guy walks up to me. He says, can you tell me how to get to heaven? It's a true story. And I'm thinking, well, number one, I'm thinking, men don't talk in the men's room. So I'm thinking, this guy's weird. But then, second thought, second thought is, I can't believe you just asked me that question. I mean, that is just like, open the door. So I turned to him, washing my hands, and I turned to him, and I explained the gospel to him, and I'm just getting into it. He says, oh, oh, the born again thing. I tried that, didn't work. And he leaves. And I'm just standing there with my mouth open, like... What? What just happened there? You tried it and it didn't... I'll tell you what happened. The gospel came in word. It came in word. You remember the parable of the sower and the seed? How many of those people actually will be in heaven? It's the last one. It's the last one that brings forth fruit. The rest of them, it came only in word. Even though they may have received it with joy. Paul says, our gospel did not come to you in word. Now, of course, one of my questions to you and to myself is, has the gospel only come that far for you? Is that why? I'm so easily, you're so easily pushed off center. Where's the power? Well, the answer comes in the next phrase. Our gospel didn't just come in words. See, now you're listening to me. Now you're wondering, where is he going to go with this? (laughs) Because I'm going to tell you, the word is not enough. As Reformed believers, there's a sense in which we very easily can fall over into the area of of making the Word of God an idol in and of itself. And I'm telling you, the Word is not enough. And I'm not a heretic, so you can heave a sigh of relief, because I'm being biblical. Our gospel did not come to you in word only. My parentheses, because that's not enough. But in power and in what? What does it say? There you go. The Holy Spirit. The word is not enough because without the work of the Holy Spirit... Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing spiritually happens without the work of the Holy Spirit. 
He's the one who regenerates. He's the one who makes the Word powerful to bring us to life. He's the one who illuminates our understanding so that we're able to actually understand. Do you remember before you were saved, did you ever try to read the Bible? It was nonsense, wasn't it? You read it for a while and you say, oh, I don't understand why anybody even reads this stuff. But then something happened. That something was the Holy Spirit. And it went from being nonsense to being the most precious truth that you can imagine. The word is not enough. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 29, there's a fascinating verse. It comes in the context of Jesus dealing with the Sadducees who were very well versed in the scripture, but the word had only come in word only. They knew most of the Pentateuch, because that's all they believed was God's word, the Pentateuch. The rest of it, the five books of Moses, the rest of the Old Testament, they said that's not God's word. So Jesus said, fine, I'll answer you from the Pentateuch. And he answers their question about the woman who had seven husbands. You know the, you know the passage. Seven husbands, whose wife is she going to be in, in heaven? And they thought they had him trapped. Because that was their classic question that they always used for people who believed the Bible and believed the resurrection and all that kind of foolishness, they thought. And Jesus says something just absolutely fascinating. He says, you're wrong. You're wrong because you don't understand the Scripture or the power of God. I have the fascinating privilege, not because of me, God has a sense of humor. Um, he sent me to the mission field. That's what I mean, that he has a sense of humor. I have the fascinating privilege of working in and ministering in two diametrically opposed cultures. One is here, which is first world, wealthy content, complacent, and many times spiritually struggling. <laughs> and then I work in Africa, which is full of fire and zeal and lots of talk. I mean, you can't drive down. There's a, there's a church on every corner. Everywhere there are churches. There are signs, businesses are named, the glory of God welding. You know, things like, everywhere, it's everywhere. You can't go anywhere without seeing some reference to God or without seeing posters advertising power, Holy Ghost fire, deliverance, miracles. What it's done for me is to realize that for some reason in God's providence, the church has tended to divide. And in the Western world, we have a church that is focused on the word. And we know the word and we study the word and we spent most of you know far more Bible than most African pastors. 
Really, you do. Even you, children. We focus on the Word. We study it. We got it. We know this stuff. They, on the other hand, focus on the Holy Spirit. And so it's Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, all the time. Holy Spirit. And so when I'm here, I preach sermons like this. Because I'm concerned that we elevate the Word to the expense of the power. Because the Word is not enough. In Africa, I preach the same sermon and turn it around. Because they elevate the power and leave the word down here. Literally, pastors will walk into the pulpit trusting that God will give them something to say once they get there. Um, He usually doesn't. So they jump and shout a lot. lot. Um, So where's the power? The power, the power is found in the work of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the problem. Not problem, it's a challenge. God gives us what we need. When we need it. Hebrews 4, verse 12, it talks about coming boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find some people have translated to find a, a well-timed grace. Grace to help at the time of need. You're not called to be a martyr at this point. So you don't have martyr's grace yet. But when you need that, God will give it. If you are his child. The power is there. The Spirit is there within you. Paul knew that, and he could even say to them, listen to this, you Calvinists. He could even say, I rejoice because I know God has chosen you. How could he say that? Well, he had evidence. Evidence that God had chosen them. Because the gospel didn't come in word only. It came in power. It came in the Holy Spirit. And it came with full conviction. So, where's the power? The power is in the Holy Spirit that produces, my third point, results. It produces results. What were the results? How did Paul know that they were chosen of God? Well, quick history. Paul Paul is persecuted in Thessalonica. In fact, he's there for three weekends. This just blows my mind. Three weekends. That's all he's there. And there's a riot in the city, and they have to smuggle Paul out of the city. But the Christians who've had how long? Three weekends. The Christians, the new believers, who, yes, they had some Old Testament background, but these new believers in Jesus Christ are left to face... This persecution. No Paul. No Sylvanus. No Timothy. They're just left hanging. Paul really doesn't have a choice. They, they shuffle him out of town. They said, we'll take care of it. 
and they suffer. Now, Paul goes on, he goes to Berea, where for a change he's well-received, and then he moves on to Athens. While he's at Athens, he's, he's going crazy, wondering what's going on up in Thessalonica. So eventually, when, he says, when I could stand it no longer, I sent Timothy to see what was going on. Timothy went up, came. Timothy could do this because Timothy was half Gentile. All right? So he wasn't obviously a Jew like Paul with the big beard and the whole thing. And so Timothy finds out that, lo and behold, these people have stood the test. They have faced the persecution and they have not only remained believers, but they have suffered this affliction with, it says, the joy of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Timothy comes back to Athens, reports to Paul. Paul sits down with his iPad and writes a letter back to them saying, I am just so excited. Your labor of love. What does he call it here? Your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not them. It's not them that did it. The power is not in them. The power is the Holy Spirit working in imperfect, flawed, sinful, broken, doubting, easily pushed off center people. Because what happens here, as Paul says, you became imitators of us. And the imitation was also not just of us, but also of Christ. And what, was he, what were they imitating? They were imitating accepting affliction with joy. They watched Paul, with the back hardly healed, come and preach to them and endure the affliction. And all the way through, he was joyful. Read the rest of the book, because he describes how he handled himself in that town. And he did everything he could. To, to make the gospel clear and to give it to them free. And they looked at Paul and said, we want to be like you, Paul. And God gave them that grace. Not only that, but the result was that they rejected their whole worldview the worldview of their whole culture. Three weekends. And they are ready to turn away from their idols to serve the living God. Hmm. Now, idols. Gentile culture was characterized by idolatry, but you know that's a lot broader than the statue that you bow down to. You've heard preaching on idolatry, I hope. And we all have them.
comfort, control, ease, prosperity, just to name a few of the more obvious ones that come to my mind because that's where I live. Those are the idols of my heart. How about yours? But by the power of God, the power of the gospel, they were willing and enabled to turn away from their idols and serve the living and true God. Not only were they imitating Christ, they were exalting Christ. And thirdly, they were waiting for, they were expecting Christ. In fact, they were so expected, Paul has to write another letter back to them, Second Thessalonians, and say, no, 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 he hasn't come yet, don't worry. They were so expectant, they were afraid they were going to miss it. Or that it had happened already. And he had to assure them that, no, Christ has not come back yet. I'm still here, your brothers and the Lord, we're all still here. And those who have died in the persecution... That's the context. Those who are dead and asleep in the Lord, we will not precede them. They will rise first and then we come. Very precious passage. So, what about you? Where's the power? God's not, God's not called you at this point, perhaps, to martyrdom. But his call is still to faithfulness. His call is still to trust, to consistency, to focus on Christ. That power the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, the power of the Holy Spirit is there. And it is available for you. God desires for you to live in a way that honors Christ. And He has given you, by His Spirit, the power to do that. not about you. It's about Christ. The exaltation of Christ. But let me just read this verse again, and then I'll be done. Paul says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. May God grant you the grace to embrace what God has given you in Christ. Shall we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity of, of looking at this encouraging passage. We pray that you would, uh, that this wouldn't end here, but that you would continue to open our hearts and our minds and apply these things to us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.